This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Oh, we're going to do that again. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, there you are. Hey. You know something? I have some interesting news. We have more people signed up for life groups than we've ever had in the history of our church. Is that awesome or what? I think it's due to our picketers. Well, that's not probably not true. But they are so fun to work with, and, and Elise is, is just doing a great job. Um, by the way, if you're brand new to our church, I want to welcome you. My name is Ron. I'm one of New Life's teaching pastors, and I'm going to teach on a super important subject today. Every Sunday is a learning Sunday at New Life, and I want to say a special welcome to those of you who are our first-time guests, and there are always many of you. Um, I, I did a little research the other day, and in the first six months, oh, in the last six months, we've had 335 first-time guests at our church. Is that awesome? Yeah. Push that out over a year, that's 700 first-time guests. So for, for those of you who are brand new, hey, as you're going to learn in what I'm teaching you this morning, oftentimes, whether it's a church or any other place that you go, you can sense that there's a circle and there are people that, that are part of the us circle. And then there's a wider circle and, and those are the thems. Got it? Okay. In our church, there's only uses. I know that's not a real word. But yeah, that is true. There's only uses. So welcome to the gang. Um, and I'm going to teach you how all that works today. But I want this to be a learning experience for everyone. So on the inside of your program that looks like this, you should find a sheet of teaching notes that have blanks that you can fill out that will definitely enhance your learning experience. And if you come here all the time, you will find out every Sunday is a, is a, it's a very wonderful learning experience at church. So that will help that happen for you. The second thing is, we want everyone who comes to church every week to have immediate access and direct access to our pastoral staff. So we can actually follow up with you on information that you would like to have. Uh, there's an opportunity for you to put down a prayer request that we could pray about something that's happening in your life. Any way that we could be of service to you, this card is what makes it happen but you need to put your name and, and your contact information on the front because we find it very hard to follow up on those that have no name on the front. So if you would do that right now, all of us do that. At the end of our service, we will be picking those up. Now, we are in a teaching series, as you can see on the video screens, called The Good Life. And it's, it's a teaching series that's based on Jesus' most famous teaching called The Sermon on the Mount. And the reason why it's called the Sermon on the Mount is because Jesus actually delivered it on the slope of a mountain in the nation of Israel where he lived. And I don't know if the people gathered above him and he spoke, or if he stood up there and they gathered beneath him. But one way or the other, he spoke to them on the side of a mountain, and he taught them some really amazing practical things about life. And generally speaking, here's how it happened. Jesus would point out a narrative that people had. It was sort of the consensus wisdom of people. 
And, and Jesus would point out this narrative, and then he would say, I want you to know that there's a better narrative than that. You see, what happens with all of us is we have a thing that's playing all the time in the background in our subconscious mind, and sometimes even in our conscious mind, and it's a narrative. It's an explanation for how things work. For instance, it's not really hard for that narrative to play when you're driving down the road and the jerk in front of you cuts you off. Because that narrative will either motivate you to say, oh my goodness, that guy must have a lot on his plate because he didn't even see me. Most of you don't have that narrative, do you? (laughs) Yeah, I figured that out. You have a different narrative. That guy is a total jerk. People like that should not be allowed to drive. Thank God I never do that. Oh, wait a minute. We don't have that part of the narrative, right? No. We have these narratives that continually play in our mind. And here's the thing. When the narrative is true, it actually embellishes our life and it creates all sorts of functionality and and it enables us to live life more successfully with less stress and more joy. But when the narrative is not true, it tends to do the exact opposite. It tends to add frustration to life. And it tends to make us live less productive lives. And it tends to add stress to our life. And and it tends to diminish our joy. So because Jesus loves all of us, on the side of that mountain, he began to identify some false narratives that come quite naturally to us. And then Jesus would say, that's the false narrative Let me give you the true narrative that isn't quite so natural, but it's actually better for you. And so Pastor Kevin has taken us through the false narrative that we might have about lust. Did that a couple of weeks ago. And then last week he took us through the false narratives that we might have about lying. Remember what he called it? Creative honesty. That's not a good thing. Okay? Right about the truth, okay? Uh, The first week, he took us through a false narrative that we might have about anger and then sat down and said, this is what Jesus said. Here's the true narrative about anger. Well, today we're going to take a look and and, and our teaching time is a little crunched, so you're going to have to listen in a hurry and I'll do my best to talk in a hurry, but we're we're going to haul out the wounds that we might have. And we're going to talk about things like love and forgiveness and healing and manipulation and abuse and about enemies and about trust. Are those all important things in life? Yeah, they are. And the problem is we don't have the right narratives about those. We get the right things in the wrong place and the wrong things in the right place. You understand what I'm talking about? And it makes life frustrating and really tough to live. So let's take a look at that subject. And we're going to start with a phrase I know you've heard before. I'm going to start it. You finish it. Are you ready? Forgive and... Oh yeah, I think everybody hears that somewhere. Somewhere in parenting school, they're taught that. But did you know... 
that that's actually terrible advice? Everybody hears it. You know why it's terrible advice? Because you don't actually have the ability to forget. You don't have a selective forgetter. In fact, have you noticed that sometimes the harder you try to forget something, the more you can't? Yeah. Let me tell you a story out of my own life. When I was six years of age, and we grew up dirt, dirt, dirt poor. I had an older brother who was one year older than I was, and so he was seven and I was six. And usually for Christmas, we got tiny, tiny, tiny little presents, and we bought all of our clothes at, at the Goodwill and the Salvation Army, and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's just the life that we lived, and we never got anything other than that. I'll never forget that Christmas morning. My parents out from behind the piano that was in the corner of, of, of our house. My mom was a piano teacher. They pulled a box from behind that piano that was bigger than I was. I don't think I'd ever seen a box that big. And my older brother and I started peeling the wrapping paper back. And inside that box was a construction set that was just amazing. There was a crane that had cables that went up and came down to a bucket. Okay, it was string, but anyhow. It, and it had a bucket on the end that when you, when you pulled up, it actually squeezed in whatever it was and lifted it up. And you could rotate the crane and you could lower whatever was in the bucket of the crane. And it had a, a dump truck that, the, that the, the, the gate actually opened on the dump truck. And, and the dump truck actually operated. And you could use the crane and you could fill that dump truck up with sand and gravel. And we lived out in the country, Right. My brother and I, it had a grater and the blade would go up and down by turning a crank and it would go sideways and we, we couldn't wait to get out in the, in the dirt and gravel out there in the country and we were going to build a city because that's what real men do, right? Two or three months later, a new family moved in just down the road and they had a little boy our age. His name was Clyde. And we invited Clyde and his five brothers and sisters to come to our house and spend the day. By the time that Clyde left our house, not one of those toys would work. He broke every single one. That was nearly 60 years ago. I still remember how I felt when I opened that package. I still remember how I felt when Clyde left. You know, you don't have, I don't have a selective forgetter. And neither do you. Take your notes and just write some, write some single initials. Write the initial of the first name of someone who hurt you as a child. It won't be hard. Write the initial of the first name of somebody who hurt you at school. Write the initial of someone, if you're old enough, who hurt you at work. Write the initial of the first name of someone who hurt you recently doesn't have to be a big hurt. could be a little one. You notice how easy that is? Okay. 
I, w- I want to tell you the truth about that forgiving and forgetting thing, and you might want to write this down. The reason that you and I need to learn how to forgive is because we can't forget. You got it? Yeah. So when it comes to wounds and and all that kind of stuff, and when it comes to people who choose to make themselves our enemies and everybody in this room, you might not consider them an enemy, and I hope you don't, but there are people who consider you their enemy. We all have them. How do we handle that stuff? Okay? We're going to haul out a behavior model that comes quite naturally to us, and then we're going to haul out a Jesus behavior model, and we're going to see how that's such a better narrative and a way to handle all that stuff. But first of all, let's go to the Bible, and let's see what Jesus had to say. Now, he said, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Now, there's the, the first is the false narrative. And it was the accepted wisdom of Jesus' day. And oh, by the way, it's the accepted wisdom of today. That you should love your friends and your neighbors, but but boy, you better keep your enemies at bay because it's a good idea not to get too close or too connected to your enemies. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing about that is when Jesus said, you have heard the law that says, when he says the law, he was referring to the Old Testament of the Bible, the law of Moses. And in the law of Moses, Moses instructed the people of God to love their neighbor. The interesting thing is he never said anything about hating their enemy. The people had added that all on their own. You know, as much as we don't have a selective um, forgetter, we do have a selective hearing device, however. And we quite frequently use it. So Jesus said, love your neighbor. You know what's really convenient about that? If you're my enemy, I don't have to consider you my neighbor, so therefore I don't have to love you. I can, in fact, justify hating you. Although that's not what God said. And there's a model that comes around that. And here's sort of what that model looks like. And and by the way, even as I draw it, I want you to understand that this is the natural and normal way to live life. This is what comes instinctively to us, but even though it's natural and normal and instinctive, it's actually not good, okay? So on the outside, this is our, this is our world, okay? And in our world are all the people that we have inter, any interaction with at all. It's all of our friends, it's our neighbors, it's our family, even the ones we like, the ones we don't like. It's the people down the street. It's all of our co-workers. It's, it's, it's anybody who at any time we ever have any activity with. And most of us have figured out, in this world, I need to have a place of safety because there are many people in this world around whom I do not feel comfortable and safe. Am I right so far? Right. So we construct in here what I call a, a zone of safety or a safety zone. And these in here, the only people that get in here are the people that I feel safe around. And you only get in here by invitation. And we definitely control who gets in and who doesn't get in. And the question is, how do I determine who I let in there? And the most natural way to differentiate between these people and these people is for us to build a boundary, basically a boundary of love. 
And because you know what? The people that we love and the people that love us, we tend to feel safe around. Right? Of course. And the people that we don't love and the people who don't love us, we definitely don't feel safe around. So we build a boundary of love and we love, and here's the amazing thing about us, most of us have little trouble loving and forgiving everybody in here. Now the interesting thing is, the people in here actually hurt us from time to time. Because they're imperfect human beings. But we don't notice it that badly because we feel safe around them and we quite freely extend forgiveness to them. Every once in a while, somebody in here hurts us deeply and you know what we do? We throw them out. Right? You're not doing that to me again. Some of you have exes that used to be in here and now they're out here. Right? Yeah. Could be an ex-husband, could be an ex-wife, could be an ex-friend. But we all have exes that used to be in here and now they're out here. Now, this works mildly well. There's some stress. But where the stress gets heightened is when the pastor says, we should love everybody. Now we have a problem because we struggle to love these people out here. Um, Many of them we would actually prefer not to love. And so what happens is, when the pastor speaks on loving everyone, and particularly when the pastor reads that Jesus said, you should love your enemies, and we definitely have enemies out here, you know what we do? We come along and we tear down this border because, by golly, if Jesus says we should love everyone, well then i got to tear down this border and i got to love everyone. And we go out there and we start loving everyone. And then what happens? We get hurt really bad. And when we get hurt really bad, we panic and throw up the fence again, right? And we quickly separate who's on the inside and who's on the outside. By the way, everybody in here is us. Everybody out here is them. And we very quickly divide our world between the us's and the them's because we want to feel safe. And so we put our border back up and we're great until the pastor speaks on that again. (laughs) And then we tear down our fence and what happens? We get hurt. We throw it back up again. I have known Christians who have been through that cycle three and four times until they finally decide, that's not going to work for me. And they decide, are you ready for this? I would rather live like this and feel guilty but safe than live without that boundary and feel not guilty but also not safe. So what do we do about that? Well, Jesus comes along and says, you have a fundamental flaw in your model. That's the false narrative, and that's why it always leads to tension. Jesus came along and said, I want to give you a different model. I'll tell you what, I'm going to draw it small down here in the corner so I can refer to both of them. Now inside, well, before I get to that, I need to teach you the transformational truth. Here's the transformational truth. When we look at sin, we tend to see it in terms of people. 
That person's a sinner. That is a bad person. Jesus, however, always looked at sin in terms of behavior. So Jesus never looked at people as his enemy. He looked at sinful behavior as his enemy. Now there's a huge, huge, huge paradigm shift that has to take place in there. And that's what I want to be able to haul out for you over the next few minutes. So roughly speaking, this is how Jesus built and, and, and operated in his world. Okay? First of all, this was his world. And Jesus clearly decided that the proper narrative was to love everyone in his world. So this was his boundary of love. But Jesus also had a zone of safety in there, but it was not bounded by love. It was actually bounded by trust. I should write this down in the, in the margin because it's probably the most important thing I'm going to say all morning. The reason why many of us struggle in life is because we have confused love and trust. We have falsely believed that it's my obligation to trust everyone I love. And that, my friends, is a false narrative. It's not true. Jesus did not trust everyone in his world. I don't have time to lay that all out for you this morning, but I can tell you he did not. He had an inner circle of people that he invited in here, and they were all people that he trusted. Never once did Jesus, other than around his crucifixion, where he was voluntarily accepting the punishment and abuse of our sins, never once in Jesus' life did he ever allow anyone to manipulate him or abuse him. He never once allowed anyone to manipulate or abuse any of the people in this circle, this zone of safety. Even though he loved everyone, this was his circle of trust. Listen, People out here will say all sorts of things about you, many of which are not true. You cannot give space to what they say in your life. They are not trustworthy. You love them, but you don't take to heart what they say. Now, don't just fill this circle with a bunch of yes people, okay? Because that's not going to be helpful either, okay? Get some people in here. Kevin talked about that last week who will not just give you creative honesty. Get some people in here who love you and who will partner with you in life, but they will also speak into your life some uncomfortable truths in the context of love. They have to be trustworthy. Then intentionally bring them in here. Okay? Because this model is based on a true narrative and the true narrative, are you ready for this? The true narrative is that God has given you the ability to love people you don't like. And to authentically love people that you don't trust. And to authentically love people who are unlovely. 
when you pick up the Bible, you will read that Jesus frequently ate with the worst of sinners. Did he do that because he felt obligated to? Okay, come on, you losers. I got to eat one or two meals with you so they can write it in the Bible. No. You know why Jesus frequently ate with the worst of sinners? And by the way, think about the worst of sinners. Jesus ate with people who were gang members in his society. He ate with women who walked the streets as prostitutes. They actually had drug dealers back in those days too. Jesus ate with people who were known drug dealers. The business guy down the street that everybody knew was crooked as all get out. As my grandfather used to say, when that guy dies, they're not going to bury him. They'll just turn him upside down and screw him in the ground. He's that crooked. That's kind of funny, don't you think? <laughs> that guy, Jesus invited to come and eat at his table. How could Jesus do that? You couldn't trust any of those people. No, you can't. But you can love them. Because you know what Jesus saw? Jesus saw real people who were somehow trapped and deceived and bound by sin. And they needed loved. Because quite frankly, friends, no one else was. Those people are all around us. Jesus loved the people who actually crucified him. When he was hanging on the cross in agony, he looked down at his feet and there were the people who had driven the nails in his hands and they were vicious. They probably volunteered for that job. They were that bloodthirsty. And Jesus looked at them, not in some pious, sanctimonious way, so that it could be written in the Bible. But Jesus looked at them, and even though they were not trustworthy, they were taking his life. He said, God, would you forgive him? They don't even know what they're doing. He was able to look beyond the sin, which he hated so much, and to see the sinner, which he loved so much it's why later the guy next to him who was a bad guy he had killed people that Jesus gave life to if he was married he was a terrible husband I'm sure he was abusive he was just a bad guy he had chosen the wrong path in life and he had consistently chosen the wrong path in life. And if he was a dad, he was a terrible dad. He had lived a life of crime, of disinterest toward other people. He had looked into the eyes of people that he was stealing and robbing and probably even killing and he didn't care. And yet somehow in that moment, he got it. And he turned to Jesus and he said, would you remember me when you come in your kingdom? That, my friends, might have been the first kind thing that God ever said in, in 20 years. 
And Jesus did not look at him and go, oh, great, i got to do this. He looked at him with love in his eyes. And he said, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. You know why? Because Jesus knew how to build a safety zone of trust. But he also knew how to live a life where with Jesus, there was no us in them. There was only us. Got it? It's a great way to live. I want to read the the passage of Scripture, and then I want to pray for you. The whole passage of Scripture goes like this. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting like children of your Father in heaven. And then he's going to explain that. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Wouldn't this world be interesting if God didn't do that? Church would be so much fun. I would be out in the lobby greeting you, and here comes a person in bright sunlight over them, and here comes another person with a big old cloud right over them, and I would say, guess who's repenting today? (laughs) But God doesn't do that because he loves everyone. And then he says, look, if you love only those who love you, this is this paradigm right here. You love only those who love you. And he goes, what reward is there for that? And if you're kind, he says, even the tax collectors do that much. And if you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from everyone else? And then he lays this bomb on us. Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that word perfect doesn't mean without fault or without sin. That word perfect literally means complete. You know what Jesus is saying to you and me? If we live with this model, we're only a shell of the person we could be. This is incomplete living. But as we learn to live like this, we become whole individuals. We become filled with life. And we have this amazing capacity to love and care for people we don't even like. And you know what's amazing? The people we love and care for often don't even know that we don't like them. Because what's more important is they know that we love them. Two ways to apply this. The first one is this. If you haven't chosen to follow Christ with the rest of your life, this is the time to do it. Don't put it off till next week. If you put it off to next week, you've let another week of your, go by, of your life go by where God could have been transforming you and helping bring this to pass in your life, but you're still stuck there until you make the decision to follow Christ. That's not something that automatically happens in your life after you go to church 10 times. Well, now I'm a Christian. Must be I've been hanging around church. No, you make that conscious decision And you say, today I choose to become a Christian, and I want to encourage you to do that today. The second thing is, you and I need a lot of practice to get from here to here. Am I right about that? Yeah, okay. This is a good week to begin practicing. And the best way to begin practicing is for you to see 
these people out here not as your enemies, to see sin as your enemy. So when the person cuts you off and as you're driving, it's time to replace that old false narrative with the true one. And the true narrative is that person might actually have a lot on their plate and they just didn't see. Or that person might just be selfish. But if they are, it's not the person who's my enemy. Think about how sad it has to be to live that life where you are so selfish that you feel somehow like a bigger person when you can cut people off. Would you like to live that life? Now, by the way, if you are, okay, if you are, God still loves you and so do we, okay? It's time for you to start to see who the real enemy is that you're actually giving space to in your life, and it's that selfishness, okay? If you're ready to make either of those decisions, check it on the back of that card, put it in the baskets as they're passed, and now I want to pray for us. God, there's not a person sitting here that doesn't struggle in this area of life. It's so unnatural for us to love people who are unlovely, to love people that irritate us, to love people who even hate us. And yet, there's something that rings so true in Jesus' words. So would you help us learn how to invite the right people into our circle of trust? And then would you help us to live with an us mindset toward everyone in our world? I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.